When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. Feel good today. In a good mood. I am. I don't know why. I can't really explain it. You know, State won a baseball game last night. We were expected to. We were expected to win big. We did. We're going to break that down. Uh, quick turnaround. There are no games in the SEC tonight, so it'll be kind of a boring night. College basketball is over on the men's and the women's side. Now college baseball. I guess there's some pro games tonight, if that's your flavor. But uh, I don't know. I might go see uh, the movie Air. And we're going to do our final 1985 music segment on the top ten list today. We are. And it was fun to put together. It really was. Not really my cup of tea, but I did it. I did it. Because I know many of you enjoy country music. So 85, best songs in country music in 85. So, and that's back when it was still real country. Like you didn't have, like George Strait never wore bedazzled jeans. Right? You never heard the Statler Brothers go, girl. You, You never heard that. You didn't have a funky bass line to Eddie Rabbit. You didn't do it. So we're going to go back. I know there are many of you that are from the 1900s. And so if uh, country music is your thing, perhaps you'll enjoy today's list. We're going to do some classic country music today. And it took your good friend and host. Uh, yeah, I, I had to walk around a little bit to get my mind right before I did it. But, uh, but that said, I know many of you enjoy country. We're going to kind of celebrate uh, music. Wouldn't be right, though. You know, we did rock. We did top 40. We did rap. And so... Again, Roy and I are juiced about seeing uh, the movie air. And uh, again, probably go to the Late Show tonight, but uh, go check it out. And then we'll have college baseball, so we'll preview the SEC weekend. Most of our series will get underway on Thursday. There is some weather concerns in Tuscaloosa. You know, we're supposed to get some weather here in Starkville today, and it's supposed to rain like nonstop for like three days. So we'll see how things go. We really need to play this series. I think this is a series Mississippi State can win. But if we're going to make a move, we've got to make it now. State will play Alabama. It's 3-6 and six in the conference. And then next week, Ole Miss comes to town. And while we have dominated that series, let's be fair about it. Ole Miss playing better baseball than us right now, despite the fact they also have a 1-8 and eight record. 
but it's tough to win on the road, especially at Duty Noble Field. And it's Super Bowl Dog Weekend. We need you here. And you're going to go watch the spring game. You want to see the new Kevin Barbe offense, kind of know what to expect. But we need you at Duty Noble. We need a huge crowd at Duty Noble to help pull this team on to victory. And then the next weekend, we're going to beat Auburn. So they're also 3-6 and six in the league. You know Butch and those guys can pitch it. Hitting's a bit of an issue. You know, we, we can make a bad offense good, though, if we go out there and walk the ballpark. So it's important for us to continue to kind of work and find uh, some things. I asked Chris Amonis last night, you know, what are your plans for Cade Smith this weekend? We'd like to see him go another inning. Maybe we get three out of him. And State needs some middle relievers. We absolutely do. And Cade looked great last weekend. And so getting him back and being an important piece, and you start thinking, you know, hey, you find Colby Hulk on the spot as a middle reliever, and then maybe perhaps – you move Nate back to the bullpen, don't know. I, I kind of get the feeling after hearing Chris talk last night, Nate's going to stay as a starter. We've got to piece it together. We've got to get KC to step up. I was disappointed with KC over the weekend. You know, he'd had back-to-back pretty good outings, and sometimes we just need him to get us two, maybe three innings, and sometimes three is pushing it. But we're starting to define some roles here, and uh, we've got to find a way to get things done. Alabama, not exactly a team that uh, has lit the woods on fire offensively, uh, but there are a veteran team. I believe they have eight position starters back from a season ago. And, uh, you know, we, we won that series last year. In fact, Mississippi State has won six series in a row against the University of Alabama. You probably didn't know that. It's true. It's true. Six in a row. Three of them sweeps, including 2021. When we went over there. And I wrote about this in Dogpile. If you haven't read Dogpile, you need to. But that series kind of stuck out to me. There were a couple of things that I even asked Luke Hancock about some of that last night. There always seems to be something weird that happens. As a matter of fact, we were over at Alabama when all the draft night stuff happened with Laramie Tunsil. Remember that? How crazy that was? We're trying to cover a ball game and all this other stuff is unfolding. But in 2021, uh, Saturday State is just cruising along there. Bednarf's doing a great job. And um, Bohannon goes out and throws his helmet down and gets ejected. They're losing 6 nothing. I mean, they had a bit of a challenge there in the in the eight. Bohannon throws the helmet down. He's trying to fire up his kids. And then on Saturday, I'm going to talk about this for a minute because I want to. And I wrote about it extensively in the book. But it was a crazy play. And so this is how college baseball works. So, so Clint Fagan was the home plate umpire on Saturday that ejected Bohannon. It was an easy call. There was no controversy about it. When a coach comes out and throws his helmet or his hat down, that is an immediate ejection, period. So Fagan handles that properly. But it went on and on and on and on and on for a while. Well, then, because of the rotation, Fagan's at third on Saturday. State's about to catch up. We're down 3 nothing in this ball game, and we uh, started putting some things together. There's a ground ball to short. And Kellum Clark evades the ball and the shortstop and he's running to third and then Jim Jarvis in third for some reason runs directly in the to Kellum and Kellum is called out on interference now Lamonis objects he should have because there is a thing in college baseball and really all baseball and the rules of baseball called the protected fielder everybody can't be protected you get a routine ground ball hit directly to the shortstop and the shortstop is crouched over it he is the protected defender and Jarvis, trying to do too much, trying to go make a play there, there's no way he's going to get to that ball. So he runs into Kellum Clark, and Kellum is out. And Fagan's the one that called him out. 
So not a good weekend for Fagan in many respects. State went on to score four runs in the inning and won the game 7-3. to three. But there's always something kind of screwy that happens at Alabama. I don't know why that is. You know, I remember, uh, I guess, back in 16 when State won the SEC. You know, we go over there and play a doubleheader, and it's like game one, doubleheader. Cohen and the guys could not find anybody to get their strikes. And we ended up walking in the game one and run. It was a miserable deal. Well, that might replicate, right? I mean, we have not been a team that's consistently thrown strikes this year. But, uh, but nevertheless, looking forward to getting back over to Tuscaloosa. Uh, the hottest photographer in all of college baseball will be back with me this weekend. We'll go cover the, the weekend together. Matter of fact, I'm going to meet her in Tuscaloosa. And that's my wife I'm talking about. And uh, so I'll get a weekend. And then, of course, uh, she'll be here for Super Bulldog weekend. And then uh, I guess I'll be along at Auburn, not sure yet. And then I'll be in Knoxville you know, with her. So we'll, we'll have some good art for you. Excited about that. Uh, excited to be with you today. Again, I'm, I'm in a good mood today. I really am. Even though I've got some uh, honeydew stuff to do here uh, this afternoon and evening before we go to the show. But, uh, but nevertheless, uh, got a good show for you today. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show. And I'm getting messages almost uh, weekly where somebody is in town and they go and uh, enjoy Bulldog Burger Company and they meet my son, Ian. Sometimes he hosts, sometimes he works in the back and uh, loves the experience. Every day he gets home, I always, hey, you have a good day. Well, it was busy today, but yeah, it was fun. You know, great place to work, great place to dine. Uh, take a night out with friends and family. Uh, you'll be glad you did. Uh, because Bulldog Burger Company's kind of got it all, right? I mean, it's one of those things, like there's a lot of places, well, I really like the appetizer here, or I like the entree here, you know, or it's like there's always something, right? There's just always something that you have to kind of deal with. And, um, yeah, it's just not the case. I mean, from start to finish, you're going to have a great experience at Bulldog Burger Company. Three great locations to serve you, University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. I want to remind you guys, too, April 7th, that's two days from today. Today is Wednesday. So if you're not going to Tuscaloosa, maybe you can go watch a ball game over in Tupelo. And here's the thing, too. April 7th, this Friday, Hannah and Carly are at Bulldog Burger Company in Tupelo. Cat Hat Vodka sponsoring the event. Go by, have an adult beverage, enjoy a night out with friends or family, and take in some live music. It's local artist Hannah and Carly going to be over in Tupelo. And Hannah and Carly, I apologize. I will be in Tuscaloosa, or I would come over there and uh, bring the wife, and we'd have a good time. Uh, nevertheless, again, Live music is going to be a regular occurrence at Bulldog Burger Company in Tupelo. So begin to think about them as a live music venue as you begin to move forward. We all love live music. We do. We love it. And best of luck to Hannah and Carly. I hope you ladies have a wonderful show and hope there is a big turnout. Again, that's this Friday, 6 to 9. That's April 7th at Bulldog Burger Company in Tupelo. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, there wasn't much of a ball game last night, but uh, we're going to break it down anyway. And another 10-run rule non-conference affair for State. It's interesting. You can always find something you know, to, to talk positively about, you know, if you, if you look for it, and you can always find something negative. You know, State, here's the thing. State has uh, two 10-run rules in the last three ball games, where State's won. And it's interesting, too. You look around the league this year. We, we wondered how the um, – 10-run rule, mercy rule, would, would impact. And there's been a bunch of 10-run rules in the league this year. I don't know how, many, how much wear and tear it saves on arms. I know it also costs playing time for some young pitcher out there that's trying to earn a job or get some SEC experience and things like that. But nevertheless, state 10-run rule, South Carolina on Friday. 
loses Saturday and then 10-run rolls Grambling on, on Tuesday. And again, we're not going to sit here and hype up this win. State, State should win those games on town alone. It's not about pitching. It's not about, you know, play calling. It's not about moves, double switches, none of that stuff. You should win this game on talent. And that's what kind of happened last night. State just outclassed Grambling. You know, listen, give Grambling some respect. They're 8-1 in their league. I mean, it could be in contention for a, uh, a SWAC regular season championship. So best of luck to those, to those guys. But State jumped all over them last night. And, and that's the thing, too. People forget this. Because I forgot. As close as I am to all this, I forgot this, too. You know, the pitcher that we saw, Ja'Cory Boudreaux, people forget we were tied up in a ball game with them last year, and we absolutely could not stay back. And we win that game two to one last year. Same pitcher, Jacory Boudreaux. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the numbers right now. Parker Stinnett gets the win in that game. How ironic is that? A year later, the same two guys face off in this ball game. Much different game, obviously, but. Uh, Ja'Cory Boudreaux, a senior left-hander, kind of a soft toss and left that specializes in a breaking ball. He goes six innings last year, five hits and two runs, five Ks, two walks. And uh, Jack Walker actually started that game. Parker Stinnett's the one that came in. But um, but interesting. Yeah, interesting. So the guy kind of tied us up last year, gave us all sorts of trouble, and they bring in Malik Abdul, and he goes two perfect innings last year. Two. With two Ks, no hits, no walks, no runs, nothing. Face six hitters. He faced a minimum. So we faced the same pitcher, and this time we were prepared. Coach Ramona said in post game that uh, they kind of knew what was happening. So they spent the afternoon in the cage hitting those left-handed breaking balls uh, off the pitching machine. A very dubious distinction befell Mississippi State last night. I don't know the numbers, and I don't have time or the effort to do the research, but I would be interested to know. Mississippi State has allowed a leadoff home run on the very first pitch of the game in three consecutive games. Has that ever happened? I don't know that it's ever happened at any level to anybody. It's just a weird thing. I joked with Luke Hancock last night. I said, I think maybe against Alabama Thursday, call one in the dirt or throw it back to the screen. We got to exercise that demon. So right away, Grambling jumps out to a one nothing lead. Parker Stinnett's trying to gas a fastball by him. The kid's sitting dead red. Rips up ball right field and over the fence. It's one nothing, And then Parker comes right back. It's a K swinging a Burrell, a K of Hatton, and then there's a single through the left side for Buford, and then we pick him off. And so two hits in the inning. Nobody left, but we, they do put a run on board. And, uh, again, you knew that one run wasn't going to hold up, but you start thinking the Boudreaux kid last year had everybody upset. Everybody. Give him some credit uh, for his performance last year. Things are much different this year. Boudreaux, a guy this year, too, going into last night's games, had 18 walks and just five strikeouts. So throwing strikes has been an issue. And I think he maxed out maybe, maybe, maybe at 65 miles an hour. All right, so Kellum Clark opens with a walk and promptly still second. I felt like as slow as they were to the plate, we ought to be able to kind of steal at will. Uh, Larry then walks. We run a double steal. And uh, both guys are safe. So three stolen bases already in the ballgame. Ledbetter then takes it the other way. Two runs score. Now State's got a 2-1 lead. You're thinking, okay, we're good. Then Hunter Hines hits a bomb to right field. It's an impressive deal, too, because you got to generate the power, right? 
And Hunter's a big, strong guy, obviously. But when you got a guy, you know, leaking that changeup, if you can call it a changeup, I, I joke with Mike Nemeth, we can't call it a fastball. We'll just call it a straight ball. But there's just not a lot of variety in speeds there. But uh, there was a little bit of bend in it, and Hines catches one on an 0-1 count. His 12th home run of the year makes it 4-1. to Dakota Jordan, just one hit on the night, but he had some loud outs. It's pretty clear he's still pretty locked in. He gets to a full count here and rips a ball to left field. Just happened to rip it right at the guy. Luke Hancock then walks and takes second on his pickoff attempt. He goes all the way around to third. And then Slate offered. 0-2 count, but Slate singles to left there, hit the ball pretty well, makes it a 5-1 ball game. They balk him to second. They go ahead and pull Boudreaux. Much different deal, right, Ja'Cory? Lane flies out to left, and then Heifel, who needed something good to happen, homers to center field. And he got 0-1 count, and he swung. He kind of pulling off the ball a little bit. I'm an old hitting coach, too. I notice these things. Sometimes I think Ross trying to do a little bit too much at the plate. Uh, but he hits one here, and you want young guys to have some level of success. And as frustrating as this weekend was for Ross, it's good to see him kind of get a hold of one. Hopefully that will get him going. Clark bats for the second time in the inning. It's a single to the right side. He goes second on the wild pitch, and Larry singles back up the middle, and Clark comes around to score. Ledbetter doubles down the line and left. Larry scores. It's now a 9-1 ball game. He takes third on a wild pitch. Hunter Hines stays hot, hammered a single to center. Ledbetter scores, makes it a 10-1 ball game. And then uh, Jordan singles up the middle, hit the ball hard, hit it flush. Hines comes all the way around to third. You got runners at first and third. DJ still second. You're going to take that every chance you get. Probably need to work on a head first slide. But all that said, we get it going. Wild pitch here, and uh, Hines scores. Jordan takes third. And then Hancock, who hits for the second time in the inning, flies out to left. So it's 11-1 after one inning of play. The game is decided. It's just a matter of what the final score will be. Well, Grambling's like, you know what? We're not going to quit. And they didn't. You know, State's already beginning to substitute here. Tyson Harden, and at one point, I had some people afraid that Tyson may be on the shelf for a while. Uh, Tyson comes in the pitch to eat up some innings for us, and Will Hull takes over at second base in the second inning. And Tyson Harden then gets behind the count 2 nothing, and uh, Mack hits a home run to center. So Grambling, a couple of uh, solo jacks in this ballgame. It's 11-2. to we walk Jacobs Gouchard, and then Murphy grounds out to the short. We force a runner uh, at first. We, we No play there. It's at uh, second. Then Garvis grounds out. Runner takes third, and then Frederick strikes out swinging. So the only damage done in the inning is a solo home run. Bottom of second. State goes right back to work here. Offer flies out to center, and then Forsyth walk. And the reality of it is here is I don't know if they could consistently throw strikes, period. Heifel pops up to first base. Clark then doubles to right field. Forsyth comes around to score. It's 12-2, and 10-run rule is in effect after, or in the seventh. Will Hole walks and Ledbetter walks. Then Hines singles through the right side again, drives in two RBI. It is a 14-2 ball game. Dakota Jordan walks on a full count, doing a much better job recognizing spin and not chasing that slider away. Hancock walks and forces in a run. It's 15-2. They bring in Mims in place of Newman. And then Slate Offord greets him on a 1-1 pitch with a grand slam to left. It is now 19-2. And at this point, we're starting to look up. Mike Nemeth and I are looking up, hey, when's the last time we did this? Um, We scored 24 on a Friday night against South Carolina in 19. 
And so we're, that's what we're thinking. Are we going to surpass that? Are we going to get to 25? Uh, the last time we scored 25 or more was all the way back in 2010 against Alcorn State. Dave Marchand pinch hits the fourth side here, and he grounds out the short on 0-2 count. So, again, 19-2 after two innings of play. Top third, again, we're starting to substitute rather liberally here. Seabert goes to right field. Uh, Hyzak goes to center. Chester goes to third. Marchand stays in the game to play short. Top of the order for Grambling here. Borum lines out the center. Burrell strikes out swinging. Then Hatton strikes out swinging. We end up throwing him out at first. Bottom of third, uh, they bring in Ardawan to play second in place of Vargas, and then uh, Heifel pops up again on a 2-0 count. Got to have a little better contact there. You have the home run, you foul out the first, and you pop it to the pitcher, and the pitcher actually made the play here. Siebert walks, Hole lines out to left, Heizak then lines out to left. And it's good to see those guys be rewarded for some playing time. As Luke Hancock said last night, I mean, those guys work just as hard as everybody else. They do. They just haven't been able to win a job in a starting lineup. So it's good. I think every available position player played last night and all had an at-bat. Of course, uh, Bryce Chance is still on the shelf. Uh, Ryan Williams out for the year. But everybody else that was available played. All right, top of four. We bring in Tyler Davis here. We've got to get him going. And we, we've got to get – he was supposed to be a big piece of things for us. He has not been. And he struggled against Grambling, too. He didn't give up any runs here, but he still struggled to find the strike zone. He walks Buford after an extended at-bat, actually gets ahead in this thing 1-2, and we can't finish him. We end up walking him. And then we walk Mack, who had two of their six hits, including that home run. We walked him on five pitches. And then Jacobs Gouchard flies out to center field. Murphy singles to the right side. I thought they would send the runner. They didn't. Now, bases are loaded here. And give Davis some credit. He gets the non-productive out, gets Ordoan to strike out swinging. And I'll tell you, he looked like we had pulled a kid out of the stands. All due respect to him and his family, he was not seeing Tyler Davis at all. Uh, so 19-2 here with two, with bases loaded, and you think, okay, maybe they'll squeeze across the run here. But Nick Frederick, the nine-hole hitter, hits a routine fly ball to left. So we get out of it. But it's one of those things, and all due respect, you know, you're playing a midweek game against Grambling. You're not going to be able to get away with that, loading the bases with one out in the SEC. I mean, you can navigate through that occasionally, but this is a self-inflicted deal. This is this right here, this is not about catching. This is not about pitch calling. This is about a guy not executing his pitches. He's got to get that figured out. You remember he was at VCU. There was all this drama about him and Isaac, about how they may not be eligible this year, and VCU was opposed to the transfers. We got it all worked out. We're thinking, man, that's huge for us because, yeah, we expected Isaac to start potentially in left, and then Dakota Jordan wins that job. But we thought Tyler Davis would be a long reliever for us and a guy that would be an important piece on the weekends, and it has simply not come together. We need him to get right. We absolutely do. And last night I was hoping up maybe this could get a one, two, three inning. We didn't get that. And so it starts becoming a trust factor. Can I trust this guy on the weekends? We, we got to get him going. We got to figure it out. He, he, he's been a part of 19 wins in two years at VCU. It's not like the kid doesn't have experience at this level. So whatever it is, whether it's mechanical or mental or whatever, we got to get him going. We have absolutely got to get Tower Davis going. All right, bottom of four, stayed back on the sticks here. Uh, Aaron Downs pinch hits for Hines, who had a good night. Downs singles to the shortstop. There was no play here. It's deep in the hole. In the six hole, they're not going to get him out. 
they might have been able to throw Hunter Hines out. They're not going to throw Aaron Downs out. And uh, even with the fact that the throw was a little bit tardy, it was also offline. He gets a single there. Uh, Dakota Jordan then lines out the center field, smacked the ball pretty well. Just not much to show for it. Hancock doubles to right center. Downs comes around to score. It's 20-2. to two. Nate Chester flies out to left field. Just missed it there. Just got under it a little bit too. Hit it flush. Just got under it. It's a routine fly ball to left. Mershon gets on a throwing error. Third baseman here. Just kind of thought about it too long. Throws it in the dirt. Hancock comes around to third. And uh, Bryce Hubbard gets in the ballgame. And congratulations to Bryce Hubbard and his family. He had had two previous at-bats. This is his first collegiate hit. He pulls the ball to the right side, runs scores. So his very first collegiate hit is an RBI single. Again, congratulations to the Hubbard family. I know it's one of those things, as a a parent of a former college baseball player, to see your son have a chance to get out there and play on the college level and have a chance to come through with a big hit. It's, uh, yeah, I know it's a 21 to two ball game here, but that's a big moment that that family will never forget. And uh, it's one of those things, too, we should always celebrate. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's not, again, I don't care who the competition is. When you have a young guy step up there and come through and deliver in a solid at bat here, especially a milestone like that, it's a big deal. It really is. No matter the score of the ball game, no matter the importance of the ball game, it's a big deal. And then Seabrook grounds out the second to, to, to end the fourth year. It's 21-2, to two, and again, there's no doubt about who's going to win this ball game. We're just trying to figure out, you know, what, what this means historically. When's the last time we scored 30 runs, right? Well, of course, you know, with many of the reserves in the ball game, you don't expect to keep expanding the lead. But you also wonder, too, you know, how deep in the cupboard can Grambling go with their pitching? Are they going to have to start having position players throw? They did. All right, so Logan Forsyth comes in. And this is a guy, too, that we're really high on. He's developing. Perhaps his best outing of his young college baseball career. We need to get him going, too. And he's been up and down at times, but you expect that with freshmen. When, you, when you're depending on young guys, there's going to be some up and down with young players, regardless of sport. That's just how it works. But he comes in as a great job. It strikes out the side here. We get Borum, Nikkei looking. Burrell strikes out looking. And Haddon strikes out swinging. Uh, maybe not the most efficient, but very effective. And you're going out there basically on a Johnny Holstaff day just trying to get you an inning. And so I think Forsyth, you know, good job here with all this. All right, bottom of five, they bring in Washington to pitch for uh, Michael Mims the third, And Will Hole comes through with a single to left center. And, uh, you know, good for Will. High Zach reaches on a fielder's choice. They force Hole at, at, uh, at second. And then Aaron Downs, again, singles through the right side. High Zach takes second. And then DJ flies out to left left center. Again, hit the ball flush, just missed it a little bit. Hancock then walks to load the bases, and Chester grounds out to short. So at this point, we're starting to wonder if all of our research of uh, high-scoring games is for naught because, uh, you know, State hadn't scored in a little bit. Uh, top of six, we bring in Cole Cheatham. Now, Cole's a guy, too. I like Cole Cheatham. When he is a guy that can land that breaking ball for a strike, he is very difficult. And oh, to be a left-hander, right? And uh, down the stretch last year, especially when things got tough and, and Cole was healthy, you know, Cole was out there doing his best to eat up innings for us as a freshman. So it's good to see him get a little work here. And kind of a tough luck inning for him, even though he didn't give up any runs. You know, I don't know that the ball left the infield. 
and it didn't. He gets Buford to strike out swinging. Oh, it did once. We give up a single. Mack hammered the ball back up the middle. So, yeah, that, that was – they did get that one out. Then there's a fielding error on the shortstop. We get a routine double play ball here. I don't know if we're thinking too much. Mershon just boots it, and uh, we can't do anything. And then uh, Murphy hits basically a little Baltimore chop over there, and Cole Cheatham showing that pitchers are athletes, elevates and gets it. Nobody covers the bag. He tries to recover and win the race the first. He doesn't. And then he gets Ardawan to strike out swinging, and then where gets a ground ball is short. We force a runner at second. So here you go. I mean, you give up to you know, Mac, who was a talented guy at Grand, but he is, leads him at hitting. But outside of that, I mean, we, we're rolling up ground balls. we got to get outs, right? And so I, I thought Cole Cheatham was good, and we need to get him going. Again, we, these are what midweek games are for is to get guys on the bump and see what they can do. All right, bottom of six, Mershon walks, and Hubbard flies out to left. Siebert flies out to center. Mershon takes second on a wild pitch, and then Hole lines out of center field. So, despite all the scoring of the first three innings, you know, State is scoreless. And, again, you got reserves in there. I'm not being critical. You know, but this game could have been as much as State wanted it to be, but Lamonis has never been that guy, right? Never been the guy to run a score up on anybody. Because, hey, we've been on the other end of the thing, and there have been some people that have done it, Right. All right, top of seven, final inning to play. We bring in Will Gibbs. Will had, had a tough outing here recently, but he has been very solid, especially for a younger guy. He's not scared to put his stuff in there and compete. That's the thing that I'm looking for. Because if they won't bite his puppies, they won't bite his full-grown dogs, right? they got to be willing to get out there and compete. And I think Will Gibbs is ready to compete. There's some things you can do. Obviously, you see him get a little bit bigger and stronger and probably add a little bit of velo. But he's not scared – to put his stuff in his own and let guys swing. Uh, Borum strikes out swinging. They pinch hit for Burrell here, and he gets a strikeout swinging of Edwards. We end up walking Hatton, and, and that's, you know, it's like, let's get out of here, all right? And then Buford hits a fielder's choice for the shortstop. We force a runner at second, so that's a ball game. And so a chance for everybody to play, and uh, that didn't always happen, also allows you to kind of keep guys' legs under them a little bit. But... Stayed a much better approach against Boudreaux this time. And you say, Steve, we should always have a grand. We didn't last year. We won a game 2-1. Remember that? We just talked about it. But, yeah, we should always be grambling. We should. We should. We should always be able to go hammer those teams. And, uh, again, maybe we learned a little something after last year. But uh, look at the numbers here, and there are a lot to look at. Uh, Kellum Clark, 2-2 two for two with three runs scored, an RBI, and a walk. Your leadoff hitter getting it done. Do you keep Kellum there? I mean, it's crazy. I mean, he's had three consecutive games as a leadoff hitter. He's had two hits in all of them. That's crazy, right? Sure it is. Von Siebert replaced him, goes 0 for 2. Amani Larry goes 1 for 1 with a walk, had a couple runs score. Will Hull again, Will in the ballgame, 1 for 3, scores a run, gets a walk. Colton Ledbetter, 2 for 2, three runs scored, three RBI. Hyzak goes 0 for 2 in the ballgame. Hunter Hines, three for three, five RBIs, three runs scored. Aaron Downs replaces him, goes two for two, scores a run. Dakota Jordan, one for four uh, with a walk and a run scored. Luke Hancock goes one for two, has three walks in the ballgame. Swade offered two for three on the night with the grand slam, two runs scored, five RBIs. Nate Chester goes 0 for two as his replacement. Lane Forsyth goes 0 for one, also has a walk. Marshawn replaces him, goes 0 for two with a walk. Ross Highfield, one for three with the big fly. And Bryce Hubbard, again, congratulations to the Hubbard family. Uh, one for two with the RBI there. On the pitching side of things, 
State allows six hits, two runs. Both of them earned on the uh, solo home runs. Parker Stanek goes one inning pitch, two hits, the solo home run, and then two Ks. Uh, Tyson Harden, two innings pitch, one hit, one run, the solo home run. Uh, three Ks and one walk. Tyler Davis, one inning pitch, two walks, and a strikeout. Logan Forsythe strikes out the side. No hits, no runs, no base runners. Cole Cheatham, two hits, in her, and it's just, you know, one of them is a shot, and the other one's just an infield hit, you know. Uh, two strikeouts. Again, I, I think we need to see more of Cole Cheatham. Will Gibbs goes uh, one inning pitch, no hits, no runs, one walk, two Ks. So 13 Ks on the night against four walks. And, of course, some of these walks come later in the ball games. But uh, Tyler Davis with two of them, uh, even though the game there was some separation, you got to get out there and pound the strikes on. And Bulldog hitters struck out zero times last night. Zero. We struck out some last year against uh, Boudreaux. But uh, no strikeouts, and we walk 11 times, score 20 runs on 17 hits. They threw 172 pitches. It's usually the other way around, right? It's usually us stressing the bullpen and making guys throw a ton of pitches. But uh, we win the ball game, and uh, Bulldogs improved their record to 17-13. and 13. Grambling falls to 12-16. and 16. And yes, again, we should always win these games and win these games handily. We should. So don't message me. It's so crazy. People are like, but Steve, it's Grambling. Get over it. We played a ball game. We won big. Everybody got to play. Most everybody got a hit. We got some work for the pitchers. It was a positive day for us. And if we are at a point that we cannot celebrate a win, because this time last year when we beat these guys 2-1, to one, we had to hear about it. And so we win big here. So, yeah, yes, it's grambling. Yes, it is. And they're, they're going to be talent deficient compared to an SEC school. But we won the ball game. We did what an SEC team should do. And we won. We won big. So, productive. So, save your tweets. And your DMs, but Steve, it's scrambling. Stop. We know what's happening this weekend. We got to go play a pretty good Alabama team, and uh, we're going to talk about them here a little bit later in the show. Uh, before we get to all of that, and we'll look around the league before we get to our Alabama preview. But um, we're going to do our top ten list today. Our top ten list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair. B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is my friend and uh, recently informed me that it is now three years running, top 1% close ratio in the country. Guys, maybe somebody has a big year every once in a while. You know what I'm saying? There are some fluky things that happen in business. But when somebody repeats that, and there's no sophomore slump, right? You get top 1% close ratio in the country and you think, okay, well, next year, even if you're top five, it's great. But no, Blair got it again. Top 1% close ratio in the country. You think, okay, well, maybe there was some bleed over. Who knows? Maybe Blair, maybe, maybe Blair's wife was making his favorite breakfast every day. Maybe the kids behaved for a while. But at some point, he's going to run out of juice. Nope, nope, three years running now. And here's the deal. If you're going to entrust your mortgage, which is basically, in many respects, your life, right? You need to deal with a winner. You need to deal with somebody that can get you long closed. If Blair can't get it closed, it can't be done. But he can also put you on a path to put yourself in a situation where perhaps you can capture the dream of home ownership. It is so difficult at times right now to get these things done. Uh, working with underwriting sometimes can be a very difficult undertaking. You need a veteran. Blair's got 21 years of experience in the industry. Coming up on 22. I wouldn't lead you wrong. 
Wouldn't do it. Give Blair a text or call today at 601-500-2344. Again, at 601-500-2344. And tell him you heard about him on the barnyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. It's about a $500 value. Be sure and check it out today. Closewithblair.com. All right, top 10. I told you guys I'm not a big country guy. I'm not. And uh, I used to despise country music. I mean, the sound of steel guitars back in the day to me was like, well, the reason they're playing this is because they can't play a real guitar. And a lot of that was out of ignorance. Youthful exuberance sometimes gives way to, uh, you know, the bias of ignorance. All of that said, um, I know many of you are country music fans, and this is classic country. And uh, again, I think George Strait is one of the best balladeers of my lifetime. An incredible town, and every time I drove to New Mexico, as soon as I would see the signs for Amarillo, I, sometimes I'd even put the song on. I'd sing along to Amarillo by morning, up from San Antonio. Everything that I've got is what I've got on. But uh, George Strait, an incredible songwriter. I know that he has a songwriting team, but uh, you know, back in the day, it was George writing and recording all of his own music. So here we go, top 10 country songs, in my opinion, from 1985. And I went back and listened to some of these, too, to make sure. Now, some of these songs you didn't have to go back and listen to because they're still in your head, right? It was like, oh, I remember this. Number 10, and this is a shout-out to my father-in-law, Jerry Hill. Jerry Hill, probably the biggest Statler Brothers fan that I know. And uh, my wife, at times, well, when the, the topic of the Statler Brothers comes up, she immediately starts singing in her dad's voice, counting flowers on the wall. But the Stallard Brothers, a lot of their music was about breakup stuff and drinking and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so they had a huge hit in 85 called uh, It's Too Much On My Heart. And it's a song about, hey, she don't want me anymore. It's just too much to deal with, too much to live with. So Stallard Brothers, shout out to them and to my Paul-in-law, Jerry Hill. And I can tell you, the longer that I live, the more I go back and I think in hindsight. And I've seen some pictures recently. I put one of them on, uh, on Facebook a while back. You know, your, your good friend and host through much of his adult life has had long hair. And I can only begin to imagine when Jerry Hill saw me for the first time and that his beautiful middle daughter, who I submit to you as his favorite, I don't know that the sisters listens to the show, but she's the favorite. My wife used to go deer hunting and ride three-wheelers and she spent a lot of time with her dad. She was, she was daddy's girl. And so I knew she was daddy's girl when I went and met them. And um, I remember when her mom said, Steve, what are you majoring in? I said, in English. And immediately she stopped the meal, looked at Dana and said, I love this man. I don't think Jerry shared that sentiment at that moment. Now, it's worked out really well you know, for him. I've taken care of her uh, and, and loved her to death. But uh, the reality of it is, is I don't know that I was his cup of tea. I love him today. I, I do. And I know he loves me. But uh, it was interesting. The first time that uh, a long-haired, bushy-haired, uh, fresh-out-of-jail Steve Robertson walked into their house out there on Spokane Road in Natchez, Mississippi. I am positive that he went to bed that night thinking, I hope it's not him. <laughs> All right, number nine, it's uh, Marie Osmond. You remember the Osmond family, and Marie Osmond was everybody's favorite. Everybody loved Donnie. And, of course, Donnie made a big comeback, too, as a solo artist. But Marie Osmond had a lot of hits in country. And, and this is one, a duet she sang with Dan Seals, Meet Me in Montana. She had some other ones that charted a little bit higher in 85, but I remember this one. And I remember how authentic it sounded. 
So number nine today is Marie Osmond's Meet Me in Montana. Number eight, one of the better country acts of the time, man. And you guys know them from their huge hit, Fishing in the Dark. It's a nitty-gritty dirt band. They had a big hit in 85 with a song called Modern Day Romance. You should check that one out. Fish in the Dark is a classic song. It is truly Southern in every aspect. There's some innuendo in that song, too. But uh, there's some good harmonies in that deal, too. Number seven, you couldn't talk mid-80s country without talking about Kenny Rogers. And, you know, I don't know if we've done a top ten list of Kenny Rogers. Maybe we should. So, Roy, maybe can Roy can do some research for us here. So I'm speaking to Roy. If we haven't done Kenny Rogers, we should. The guy had a ton of hits. There were times that there were some people in my parents' generation, some of those, uh, some of the moms, thought Kenny Rogers was the sexiest guy around. I mean, with his feathered hair and his unbuttoned uh, shirt and his vest and everything. But Kenny Rogers, very, very successful performer. Saw him perform at the Dixie National Rodeo. But we're going to go with what some people consider the number one country song of the year that year is Morning Desire from Kenny Rogers, number seven on your list. I liked a lot of songs better than that one of the Kenny Rogers catalog and of the 85. Number six, if I had to pick, quite honestly, probably the, the, the male vocalist in country music at the time that I probably liked the most, it's got to be Eddie Rabbit, because I love a rainy night. It's such a beautiful sight, right? Uh, I'm not going to sing for you. But Eddie Rabbit was legit. Nobody talks about Eddie Rabbit anymore. But in the 80s, and Eddie Rabbit wasn't even really, in many respects, like the country guy. Like he didn't, you know, he didn't, he was just like, he played country music, but he, he didn't have like that big bucket hat and chaps and things like that. It was some people that went way too far with the cowboy thing. But Eddie was a guy that kind of had some crossover hits, too. He had some top 40 stuff. I liked Eddie Rabbit a lot. He had a big hit that year called Best Year of My Life, and that best year was the last year. It's a new relationship. It's like, hey, the last year I've been with you, it's an anniversary-type song. It's been the best year of my life, and all the years to come are going to be great. We're going to be together. It's a very happy relationship song. But Eddie Rabbit, we need to start a movement to bring more appreciation for Eddie Rabbit. Number five, it's Ronnie Millsap. This is another guy, too, that had a bunch of hits, man. You can't talk early to mid-'80s country without mentioning Ronnie Millsap, even though, again, he kind of sold out a little bit, did some top 40 stuff. But he had this song, too, and and um, my family really liked the song. You know, I'm from the 1900s, and so this was a song called uh, Lost in the 50s Tonight. And it's like a reunion-type deal with an old lover and that kind of stuff. Lost in the 50s Tonight, in the still of the night. And so it was an interesting song, but it was a huge hit. It was everywhere on the radio. And Ronnie Millsap, of course, uh, had a ton of hits. Number four, and I can still see the satchel on the album cover for the very first album for this band. And we loved them. We still love them. They are a huge part of Southern popular culture, even to this day. It is the band Alabama. And I think one of the reasons we liked them is they were maybe they were kind of like the forerunners of outlaw country a little bit. They they, they did they had their, their hair was a little bit longer and people didn't like that. Randy Owen out there with the feathered look and it was on his shoulders and people were like, wait a minute, is this Kiss or is this Alabama? 
So there was a lot of people that kind of resisted that, and that kind of drew me in. That first album, I think every every song on that first album sounds like a single. But Alabama wrote about things that were uniquely Southern, and they catered to their audience, and they wrote about you know growing up in the South, and they wrote about you know the things that we encounter. I remember you know that, that huge song about um, Roll on Highway. I mean, it's like everybody knew that song. Number one for me, see, number four, but the number one Alabama song that year for me is You Can't Keep a Good Man Down. I also liked 40-Hour Week for a Living, so you can send it on down the line. I loved it. But You Can't Keep a Good Man Down. It's a great tune. That's your number four track today from Alabama. And if you young bucks out there that claim to love country music, if you don't know Alabama, if you don't have some Alabama songs on your playlist, then you need to delete the playlist and start over. Number three. Now, this was kind of a crossover deal, too. There were a lot of people, a lot of country music purists that didn't like the fact that all of a sudden this was getting played on Top 40 radio. But it, it was, in fact, a country song that was a little bit more up-tempo. But it's Dan Seals Bop. And, man, this thing was everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. You couldn't go anywhere. People, they had people printing shirts. I want to bop with you, baby, all night long. And, that, and we still hold that same sentiment. We still adopt that same line of thinking, Dan. But it was a great song. Number three, Dan Seals, Bop. Number two, and sadly, we lost one of these ladies last year. May have been earlier this year. I, my, I lose my train of thought sometimes. But um, when these ladies hit the scene, I couldn't believe that uh, one was the mom and the other was a daughter because they both were so beautiful and so talented and um, we're talking about the Judds. And I remember when uh, they hit the scene with Mama, He's Crazy. Crazy over me. It's a great country song. And the Judds were kind of true to all of that. I know when uh, Winona kind of got a little more reckless, and people were like, hey, I don't know about this. But uh, Naomi, a beautiful woman, had some struggles later in life. But we're going to go with Have Mercy. Number two is Have Mercy from the Judds. But number one, and I told you, I opened the list telling you this. We're going George Strait. We are. And I don't care what kind of music you listen to, whether it be rap, country, rock, classical, opera, gospel, ska, punk, whatever. You have to have some respect for a guy like George Strait that has written and recorded so many number one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply ones and you never hear like you never hear george Strait doing the rock and roll thing doing something stupid he's always getting called doing the right thing i believe one of the best songs of my lifetime is number one it's the chair from george Strait. of course it's a song that is written about a chance meeting guy goes and there's a girl at the bar or whatever and it's like hey excuse me but i think you've got my chair and Next thing you know, this conversation starts, and they, they begin to hang out, and they dance, and they buy some drinks, they get to know each other. By the end of the night, George confesses, that wasn't my chair after all. So, pimp game strong for George Strait. 
we I think we all learned a little bit from that too, right? As young people. So George Strait's the chair, the number one country song, according to me, from 1985. You may disagree. That's okay. I'm not deep in the genre like some of you guys are. But this is conclude our 1985 series. Of course, as we're kind of self-promoting the uh, the air movie, Roy and I are fans. And so we thought, hey, let's take a trip. This will be a great chance for us. Give us a week full of top ten lists. And we did. And I think they're really good. I had a lot of people that have told me, how much they love the rap list, the classic rap list. And uh, so just so you guys know, and this hurts your good friend and host's heart a little bit, not going to lie. Not going to lie. So our metal list, and this is as of today, so they'll be they'll update a little bit, but I think that the metal list, unless country bombs, I think metal is going to be last. And that makes me sad. It does. It makes me sad because I know many of you have sold out. Uh, but as of today, just over 7,500 for our metal list. Our pop, our top 40 list, just over 8,700. And rap, and I know I'm going to hear about it. I know, I know I'm going to hear about it. Over 10,000. Over 10,000 on, uh, on the rap list. So, hey, that's a good week for us, right? It's not as good as the... Uh, the new band list, but uh, you know, I know some of you young people need to do some research too. And that's one of the things too that I'll tell you that, like for me, when I was in high school, you know, it's like as I be- began to um, really get into certain bands, like I would read these interviews in Hit Prater Magazine or Circus or Rolling Stone or something. Rolling Stone was more expensive, so I'd always buy that. But you know, like I'd buy the Hit Prater, my friend Alan would buy a Circus, and somehow get cream, and then we would just trade, right? And I would read about their influences. That, hey, this band was influenced by this band and that band. And so all of a sudden, I got into Aerosmith and I got into Steppenwolf. I uh, got into uh, Three Dog Night, people like that. And so I, I think that's one of the things, if you really love a band, uh, you need to sometimes to kind of look at the pathology of their musical career and you go back and you look. And so if you are a person today that likes, you know, you know, Florida Georgia Line, Morgan Wall, and I mean, these people were influenced. These are all part of the same tree. And so I think it's important to know the evolution of your favorite music. And some people are like, Steve, it's not that deep for me. I just enjoy the song, and I just have a good time, and I drink a White Claw. And whether you drink a White Claw or not as a guy, it's, your, it's completely your business. But my point being is that I think it's important to, to in order to fully appreciate where we are, we got to know where we've been. And so I've enjoyed doing these lists. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out, let me know. We're happy to do them. You can find me on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R and Roy, the keeper of the list and the distributor of our wonderful Spotify list at Dogmatic, that's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7 on Twitter and on Spotify. And be sure to hit us up. We appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk some music with you guys too. I've had people in recent days who said, Steve, sometimes that's the best part of the show. I'm not sure how to take that, but I do appreciate your support of the top 10 list. It adds a little flavor, a little color. Sometimes you take a bit of a break. Okay, we're not, we're losing ball games. So for a second, I can listen to the show and, and then kind of ease up a little bit. So, so there you go. And again, thanks as always uh, to our good friend Blair Chandler at closedblair.com. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmark. Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. If you're looking for Mississippi State merchandise, look no further. 
than Campus Bookmart. Go by and see their smiling faces and their fine selection of Mississippi State merchandise. The Bully Shop has been completely renovated. Everything is upstairs now. Save you a few steps. You can get on the Stairmaster and make those up. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet, at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR. You know what it stands for. Beautiful Steve Robertson. Makes it easy to remember. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 absolutely incomplete. I believe that we possess every jersey that they've sold the last couple of years. I believe. I shop there. It's not just a sponsor of the show. It is a part of my life. And when I need Mississippi State merchandise, the first place that I look is Campus Bookmark. All right, let's look around the league. It was a busy night in the SEC. Maybe some surprising results a couple places, for sure. For sure. But uh, I told you guys I thought the league would have a good night. We, we did. We should have. So let's take a quick look back. Maybe you haven't kept up. Georgia and Kennesaw State, a very, very competitive ball game there. Georgia wins at 6-4. to four. Uh, Number three, Florida, an 8-3 winner over Bethune-Cookman. Kentucky, number 10, Kentucky. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep beating the drum for the Wildcats, even though I know they will fade a bit. They are an NCAA tournament team. 13-6 winners over Dayton. You'd expect that. It was a game for a while, and then Kentucky breaks it open. Alabama, this week's opponent. They cruise to a 10-2 victory over Troy. Vanderbilt, 8-1 winners over Western Kentucky. Ole Miss, a win for them and a rivalry game for their opponents as they take down Memphis 7-2. And, of course, your Bulldogs, 21-2 winners over Grambling. UAB, we'll play them in a couple weeks, our midweek opponent. That game's going to be in Birmingham. We expect a huge contingent of Bulldog fans in the greater Birmingham area going to turn out for this ball game. The Blazers win in the ninth. They walk off Auburn. UAB jumps on Auburn pitching early. They get up 4-0 in this ball game. And Auburn's challenge has been scoring all year long. Auburn gets one in the third, three in the fourth to pull the game even. You think, okay, they'll go ahead and cruise here. Well, they don't. The fifth and sixth are scoreless. Auburn scores in the seventh to take a one-run lead. UAB answers in the bottom of seven. And then finally in the ninth, they walk it off. So big win for the Blazers there. Anytime that you can go beat an in-state school like that when you are not considered one of the major schools, uh, pretty big deal there. And, and here's how it all happened. I mean, it's kind of manufactured run here. You get a leadoff single. Uh, they sack bunt him to second, and then they come through with a single, pushes him to third. Runners on the corners now with one out. They intentionally walk Braunschweig to load the bases to set up a force at any base and uh, make a change here, bring in a different pitcher, and uh, UAB pinch hits. And Hunter singles through the left side to drive it in. They walk it off. There is joy in Birmingham. Not so much at Auburn. Texas State gave Texas A&M all they wanted and then some in this ballgame. I don't know if you kept up with this at all. If you're a fan of SEC baseball, maybe you kind of kept an eye on Twitter here. Guys, there are 10 runs scored in the first inning. Both teams put up a five spot in the first inning. And then in the middle innings, A&M begins to kind of pull away there. It is now a 9-5 to ball game. And then Texas State 
with three in the sixth, makes it a game. They tie it in the seventh. It is a 9-9 ball game in the seventh at College Station. Bottom half of the inning, A&M scores. The bullpen makes it hold up. 10-9 winners are the Aggies. I'm not one of these people that believes non-conference midweek games don't matter. If you don't believe me, just talk to the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. South Carolina, last week's opponent, now ranked sixth in the country. They beat number 13, North Carolina, 5-0 last night. So, good effort from the Gamecock pitching staff. And, again, the philosophy there is to simply pound the zone and let the defense play behind you, and that's been successful for them all year. Of course, offensively, they've been outstanding. Uh, hitting a ton of home runs, a ton of home runs. And uh, we did a pretty decent job keeping them in the ballpark. They did hit it th- the three solo shots against Nate. Uh, but by and large, uh, that's the balance of their offense. They did not hit a home run last night and still were able to win that ball game. So at some point, you got to be willing and eager to play baseball, and the Carolina Gamecocks did last night. LSU, 12-2 winners over Nickel State. So that's the weekend. Again, there are no games scheduled for tonight, and that's what you'd expect, obviously. With uh, In Arkansas, Arkansas State got canceled. Um, with most of the series beginning on Thursday. Now, Vanderbilt goes to Missouri here. Now, I will admit to you, I have probably undervalued Vanderbilt. After watching them play in person and seeing how athletic they are and how great they are defensively, and you know what they're going to have on the mound. This is a team that is certainly capable of winning the top eight national seed. That's not a hot take. I mean, I think we all feel the same way. But I picked Vanderbilt to be third in the East. That statement may still work out because I think Tennessee will get it together eventually. But Vanderbilt still got to play Kentucky, Tennessee, and Florida. Will they be able to navigate through that and remain unblemished in the SEC? We're going to say no right? But they're undefeated right now. They will, again, go on the road to play Missouri, which is a difficult place to play. A lot of it's because of the wind. The field's up there on the hill. There will be some home runs hitting this, but we do like Vanderbilt to take the series. LSU will make the trip to South Carolina. Now, this has turned into a very sexy series because of what South Carolina has done. Now, what's interesting, too, if you're LSU, and I tell you, I worry a little bit about them in a Super Regional. And there's news out of Baton Rouge they may have another Tommy John. And you hate that for any young person. And I understand it's one of their younger guys that may have gotten injured over the weekend. Uh, Nothing, you know, no names released right now. But uh, it doesn't just happen to us. But South Carolina in their own ballpark at Founders Park, they get LSU. You like Paul Skeens to win the first game. Uh, And LSU, of course, is expected to drop a game. They have lost at least one game in every series this year. They're not quite as dominant, I think, as uh, many people expected to be offensively. So I like Carolina to get a split here. I don't know if they can pull it off, but I'll tell you, that game three could be a wild one because LSU Sunday pitching, which will be Saturday pitching this week, has been a bit of an adventure. State is at Alabama. We're going to preview that in the next segment of the show. Arkansas is at Ole Miss. I don't know that I ever want to just go play Arkansas. I mean, I mean, back in 2021, I was eager to play them. Thought we'd get a chance to get a sweep, and they absolutely dominated us all weekend long, with rare exception. We should have won that Saturday game, but we didn't. Arkansas at Ole Miss. I'm taking Arkansas to take the series. I, I think this Ole Miss offense has been a little bit overvalued. And I talked to some guys who saw them play in the fall, and they said, hey, they got some sticks. And I think what we're realizing, perhaps, is they were hitting bad pitching. 
So I like Arkansas to take the series. Um, and you kind of wonder, you know, you, you kind of wonder if Ole Miss is not experiencing some of the same things we did last year. I mean, you spend the entire offseason, everybody telling you thank you and how great you are and how historic it was, and it was. But Arkansas is a team that doesn't have it yet. And it's a matter of time before the Razorbacks win an Apple championship. And now that we've won one, I won't mind it nearly as much. But I like Arkansas to take this series. I think it's probably a split. And if Arkansas goes in there and sweeps Ole Miss, you talk about uh, the pitchforks coming out in Oxford. You know, people forget Ole Miss was the last team in the tournament last year, and they won the whole thing. If they not made the tournament last year, do we see a coaching change? I mean, Mike Bianco was in a very precarious position. If they don't go down there and win that series in Baton Rouge against LSU, they don't make the tournament, Mike Bianco is probably fired. He does win those games. They do make tournament, and they win an Apple championship. It's crazy how baseball works, but I think Arkansas takes a series. Florida's at Tennessee. Man, this one here, oh, my gosh, man. It's like if we ever had a weekend off, this is the one I'd really want to watch. The Florida pitching staff against this Tennessee offense in Knoxville, fun. Now, here's the thing, too, that I think favors Tennessee in a series, and maybe, maybe you're unaware of this. But let me kind of fill you in on this. The ball does not carry to left in night games at Tennessee. It just doesn't do it. It just doesn't do it. That cold mountain there, it kind of comes down into the valley there, and the ball just simply doesn't, doesn't travel there. And so it's like no man's land out there. It's like you're hitting into a vortex and just nothing happens. And two of these games will be night games. Thursday night and Friday night, and then all of a sudden Saturday, it's an afternoon game. Things are warmer. The ball carries a little bit better out there. So these are going to be late games in the Eastern time zone. And so what does this do to the Florida offense? Now, you've got a couple of guys out there that can swing it no matter the circumstances. But this will sound a little bit uh, maybe off kilter here, but I'm going to pick Tennessee. You said, well, Steve, you're picking Tennessee to win at home. I think a lot of people are, are kind of non-believers in Tennessee. They're four and five in the league right now. I think it's a split, but I think Tennessee gets it two games to one. A&M is at Auburn, and this is interesting for us. We actually probably need A&M to win this series. We need, we need some teams to kind of stay within striking distance of ourselves. Uh, I guess at the end of the day, we just need a split. We don't need a sweep of anybody. We need both of these, these teams to split. I guess if they could both – you know, lose a game and then rain out, that'd be okay too. But Auburn hosts them, and A&M is a team that's just so incredibly difficult to figure out. Some people had them as a dark horse. Some people even picked them to win the West this year. I didn't see that at all. I don't know how in the world you're going to pick against LSU, uh, but they did. But you look at these numbers here. You know, offensively, they have torn up some non-conference pitching in the midweek, but a very, very, very pedestrian non-conference schedule. And so you look at it and say, okay, well, what, what's great here? Uh, at SEC play, they get beat 9-0, 12-7 from LSU. They rally back to win on Sunday, 8-6. And then the games against Tennessee, they get shelled 10-4, and they lose 8-7, 9-6. So the games were competitive, but you're not putting up big runs. And then you know, Ole Miss, obviously, a little bit challenged pitching-wise right now. 8-6, you lose 14-7, and then you win 5-4. You walk it off there in the ninth. Butch Thompson will have a good game plan. And it's tough to win on the road. I'm going to take Auburn in this series. I'm going to take Auburn two games to one in the series. Uh, so 
Again, your winners on the weekend, Vanderbilt, and I wouldn't rule out a sweep, even though Missouri is very difficult in their ballpark. Uh, I've got LSU, even though I think that South Carolina LSU series could go either way. I just think LSU top to bottom is a better team. And after watching South Carolina in person last week, we should have won the series. I think we would all agree it was all within our reach. And the fact that South Carolina struggled so much with us, a team that is really struggling to find it on the mound, uh, I think says a lot. I'd like LSU to take it. And then uh, Arkansas at Oxford and then Tennessee at home against Florida and then Auburn at home against Texas A&M. That's how I see the weekend. And uh, we'll spend some time now uh, getting ready to talk about Mississippi State series with the University of Alabama. Uh, but uh, before we do, let's take a quick look kind of at the standings here. We brushed up on this on Monday, but we start looking at, you know, if the series go the way we expect. And again, Missouri 3-6 and six against a Vanderbilt team that's 9-0 and playing with a ton of confidence. So even if Vanderbilt drops a game, you know, barring South Carolina sweeping LSU, Vanderbilt will remain atop the East. Uh, Kentucky, that series actually begins on Friday. And uh, let me look at that real quick here, just, just, just to offer the prediction here. Kentucky's a Georgia. And uh, Georgia, a team that uh, at one time was hitting a ton of home runs, but, of course, the quality of competition wasn't great. But I like this Kentucky team. I think Scott Strickland's pitching staff do, do a good job here and win a game. But I like Kentucky to take the series, which would give them 10 wins in the SEC. Four weekends in, they have 10 wins. And 14 and 16 generally gets you in. So, if you're Nick and you know that you've got Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Florida, and Tennessee lurking on a schedule, you got to go make hay while the sun is shining, and that's got to happen this weekend. You got to go take care of this one and eight Georgia team. All right, so Florida seven and two again, again big series with Tennessee, and you know they've already got seven wins. So, barring a sweep, they'll stay ahead of Tennessee. But I like Tennessee to take it, but that would also give Florida eight wins, and then I think Missouri you know, may win a game, but could be swept. And then, of course, in a way, the only way Georgia can climb out of the cellar here is to, to win the series and then hope some things happen uh, to Missouri. But, uh, you know, Georgia really facing some tough times right now, much like us in many respects. LSU 6-3, and three, and it's amazing that 6-3 and three would be third in the East. The East is just simply better right now. And of course, we've been beating each other up. But six and three, Arkansas and LSU both six and three. LSU wins a tie break because they win that series against Arkansas. And then Alabama, Auburn, AM all right there at three and six. And then State and Ole Miss at one and eight. So we've been beating each other up, and we're going to continue to do that for the next few weeks. But it's going to be interesting to see when we get, you know, the top teams in the East playing the top teams in the West how that's going to shake out. You saw it last weekend with LSU taking two out of three uh, from Tennessee. But uh, interesting times. And, uh, again, State, if you're, if you're going to make a move, it's got to be within the next three weeks. It has to be within the next three weeks. Because you got four teams ahead of you – excuse me, three teams ahead of you, the two games ahead of you in the standings, and Ole Miss is tied right there with you. So you're going to play really the bottom half of the West, and we're a part of that. But in order to kind of establish ourselves in the pecking order and perhaps get to Hoover, we've got to make a move here in these next nine SEC games because, you know, things just – you still got Arkansas to play, you still got LSU to play, you got Tennessee to play. A very unforgiving schedule for your Bulldogs. 
So if we're going to make some noise, it's got to come here in the next three weeks. All right, let's thank our friends um, at Portico. I talked to Brooks Bryan yesterday for probably, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour. Spent some time talking to him and um, talking baseball. I mean, and Brooks, of course, part of that 98 team that was uh, honored this past weekend, 25-year reunion of the 98 team. Had some guys back on campus for the first time in a long time. And it's always great to get our Diamond Dog greats back on campus and to see them plug in. They had, you know, had the uh, autograph session out there. A lot of fans were able to go get and, uh, you know, reconnect with those players is always a wonderful thing and brooks of course part of this great group of developers that are bringing this wonderful residential complex portico uh to starkville phase one's completely sold out phase 200 development now there are still some homes available for purchase and if you're looking to build maybe you need a custom build that can accommodate you you can pick out your lot and your house plan carrie and those guys can get to work on that and make it exactly the way you want it Give Brooks a call or text today at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. And learn more information about this. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, and really anything in between. Very easy to get to. Turn off 82 on a 12. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. You go to the four-way stop. There's Portico on the right. 1.1 miles away from all things Bulldog. How great could that be to be in Starkville and be that close to campus? Makes it a lot easier. You can go to all the ball games. Get your place up here. Whether it be your second home, a future retirement home, or your primary residence, Portico has a plan for you. Make it your next move. All right, let's take a look at Alabama now. I said at the beginning of the year that they shouldn't be ranked in the top 25. And I may have been a minority there because they were an older team. They return all these players. It has not come together for Alabama. They had a very, very, very weak non-conference schedule. But they have played tough in SEC play. Give them credit for that. They have played tough. They open up the year sweeping the Richmond Spiders. 12-3, 13-1, 14-1. 12-3, 13-1, 14-1. So you look at those offensive numbers and say, that's pretty gaudy. Well, they're playing the Spiders. They get a midweek win over Tennessee Tech, 7-4, and then UT Martin, 10-0. They take on high point. They sweep that series, 9-4, 10-6, They pound Jacksonville State in a Tuesday night game, 17-3. And then they get Illinois-Chicago. They sweep that one, uh, posting 30 runs on the weekend, 11-1, 10-0, 9-7. Samford, they get those guys in the midweek, 11-6. It was a competitive ball game for a little bit. They, they hammer Alabama State, 21-7. And then they lose the series to Columbia. And that's when you begin to think, you know what, maybe these guys aren't as good as their record indicates. They lose 10-7 to the Lions. They beat them 6-2 and then lose 15-3. And again, anybody that can find a third starter is usually in pretty good shape here. But uh, a couple couple weekends there, you look at even against Illinois-Chicago and High Point, those games are competitive on Sundays. They get South Alabama 4-0 on Tuesday, and then they go to to Florida, get shut out in the first game, get beat 8-7 in the second game, and that's a good Florida pitching staff. And then they, they squeak out a win on Friday. Then they hammer UAB 12-2. Take that, Auburn. All right, so against Kentucky, I picked Kentucky to win that series. Kentucky at the time was ranked 23rd in the country. Again, people said, Steve, it's just because we're so bad. It's not. Kentucky's good. Kentucky wins 4-3, 9-5, and uh, should have won on Sunday. But they didn't. Give Alabama some credit. 
they went 4-3. And uh, what a big win that could have been for Kentucky. They'd be undefeated in the SEC and tied with Vanderbilt. Alabama then uh, gets Middle Tennessee in a midweek game. They go to Arkansas last weekend. They absolutely hammer Arkansas on Friday, a 12-1 ball game there, and then they lose 9-6 and 5-4. And, uh, again, that, that Sunday game, I watched it. It never felt like Arkansas was in trouble, but Alabama was always one swing away. And, again, that Friday night game when they just absolutely hammered 22 hits in the ball game. That's the thing you look at. That just doesn't happen on Friday night in the SEC, but it did. Holland only goes four innings pitched, ten hits, seven runs. I mean, the game is basically over. They give up three tanks in that game, three home runs in the first four innings. They had four on the night. But uh, one of these things you look at, you know, when you're getting shelled on Friday night, sometimes the game gets a little bit lopsided because of the fact you're not going to throw any of your quality relievers, and that's kind of what happened with Arkansas. They threw Ledbetter there late in the ball game, and he's, he gets a sixth, seventh, and end of the ninth, I guess. But um, three and two-thirds of an inning, nine hits, three runs. And so, again, the game got away from him because uh, Holland had a bad outing. Part of the deal. But 22 hits, and it's up and down the order, too. Every starter for Alabama had a hit that night. That's an impressive undertaking. It really is. Because we know how difficult it is to go in there and win at Arkansas. And they did. And so, again, you're a win away from taking the series, and they weren't able to get it. Arkansas, it's in their DNA. They're a tough squad, man. They just are. They're a tough team. And as long as Van Horn is there, he will recruit and develop an attribute. And so that's what they've done so far. And, of course, 10-2 winners last night over Troy. So, overall, uh, this Alabama team, they're 3-6 and six in the conference, but 22-8 and eight overall. So they've won, you know, five more games than Mississippi State. That's a difference in the overall standings. And I submit to you, State has played a more difficult non-conference schedule. Uh, but the reality of it is that, I'm, that won't mean anything when we get together this weekend. It's not going to be about strength of schedule. It's going to be about who executes. Now, Alabama's been really good at home, too. They're 17-4 and four at home, and State is 0-3 on the road. So the next time we win a road game this year will be the first time. We haven't played a ton. Of course, the three we played on the road were against Kentucky. Now, we played some neutral site games, obviously, in, uh, in Pearl and in Biloxi. But let's be honest, those are partisan crowds. You're not going to go into a, a hostile environment and play the same way. And, of course, there was no environment at Kentucky, and that's not being difficult. It's, it was exceptionally cold. There may have been two or 300 people at each ball game. And it was one of those ball games. I think we might have had as many Mississippi State fans as there were Kentucky fans because it was miserable out there. So we don't know what kind of road team we are. We played in some difficult circumstances against a team that I think is better than people anticipated. But this is an Alabama team that uh, is trying to find a sense of itself. There's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. You know, I think that's the thing you look at with all this. You know, the Jim Wells era was dominant. Uh, and in the 90s and of course things changed you know things changed the balls changed the bats changed the culture changed you know there's just so much of that you know and you go back and you look here you know at the uh alabama baseball tradition you know and did you know that mississippi state started playing baseball before alabama did by seven years yeah thank you william jennings 
All right, so Alabama has played for the NAFL championship twice. They didn't win it either year, so they do not have a NAFL championship in baseball. They do have five appearances in Omaha. They have not been to Omaha since 1999. And when you looked at that stretch with Jim Wells in the, in the late 90s, they were a great program. 96, 97, 99, they get there, and, of course, they lose in 97 in the NAFL championship. But, uh, you know, good run there. But you start putting these things together here, and the Alabama baseball tradition is not nearly as rich as the rest of the conference. It's just not. Um, and so, you know, Jim Wells, of course, there for 15 seasons. He's gone. They bring in Mitch Gaspard, and Mitch was there for seven and just never could recapture the magic. Greg Goff is there for one year. And, you know, we had all, they had all these issues, you may recall. Uh, Greg Goff, this the one year there, and uh, couldn't get it done. They hired Brad Bohannon, a former John Cohen assistant. Five years and just uh, 29 games over 500, 136 and 107. And you got to think, you know, how much do you care about Alabama? You know, how much does Alabama fans care about baseball? Well, they cared in the 90s when they were winning big. They're kind of fair-weathered. Alabama fans have enough to keep them busy, I guess. But uh, last year – Bohannon makes a tournament for the first time since 2014. Will they make it this year? I think it remains to be seen. And this weekend, I think, is a big part of that. So we'll be over at Sol Thomas Stadium. And again, uh, be, be aware that uh, there could be some uh, change to the schedule because of weather. So if you're making those trips, be weather aware and make sure that you're paying attention to uh, a change because – I. Again, I'm told there's a possibility of a Saturday doubleheader. That hadn't been decided yet, or Friday doubleheader, excuse me. There's a possibility we play a doubleheader. Don't know that yet, but be mindful of that if you're thinking, hey, we'll just ride over. I'd hate for you to make an empty trip. We have been to Alabama before. I remember when Lane Burroughs and uh, John Cohen and those guys were there. We went over there and had it with Connor Powers and those guys. went over there and just had an absolutely late night in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, uh, due to weather. And I remember Lane Burroughs being out there, and Alabama was trying to get the game suspended, and Lane's like, there. we're playing this ball game. We're playing this ball game." All right, so Tommy Seidel leads Alabama with a 413 average. Got three bombs, 17 ribbies. Uh, a guy that doesn't have a ton of extra base hits, but enough to keep you honest. Four doubles and, of course, the three bombs, and uh, 31 hits on the year, primarily singles. Drew Williamson, and it feels like Drew's been there forever. He's hitting 375. He has nine tanks on the year. Nine. Andrew Pinckney, it's a very athletic guy there. He struggles a little bit at strikeouts. I'm looking at strikeout numbers this year. Uh, they're not much better. He is uh, last on the team, tied for last on team in strikeouts. There's a lot of swing and miss in his game. And and I know Mike Nemeth and I talked about him last year. He was a guy, too, that kind of surprised you at times. I think at times he was surprised at the ball met the bat. But he is a guy that struggles to pick up spin. That said, 346, he's clearly a guy that's doing a better job, even though uh, the strikeout numbers are a little bit high. Ed Johnson hitting 344. And that's the thing. You look at this uh, Alabama order. They're putting the ball in play. Ed Johnson, 344 with three tanks, 23 ribbies. The big slugger is Colby Shelton. 12 dangers on the year, 25 RBI. Where's number 16? And uh, is a freshman from Lithia, Florida. Did you expect that? You're thinking, oh, he's probably a transfer. No, it's a freshman. He's kind of like their version of Hunter Hines. He's getting it done. Got to make sure you pay attention to this guy. 
Colby Shelton. They started uh, all uh, sort of 28 games. He had a couple games off. They've played 30, but but um, he's missed a couple. But this is a guy that's getting it done for sure. Uh, 15 walks on the year two. And he is the guy that's tied with uh, Pickney for strikeouts. So some swing and miss, but uh, he's a guy too. You group a fastball to him, he's going to put you on Sports Center. Will Hodo is another guy that's been around for a while, hitting 313, four bombs, 18 ribbies. Caden Rose, very, very athletic guy. I assume he's still out there playing second base. Um, I'm pretty confident of that. I watched him last week. I think that's what I remember. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but Caden Rose, uh, again, been there a little while too. Three tanks for him, 16 bombs. Jim Jarvis, he of the uh, Phantom Interference call two years ago, is hitting 302. He's a guy that plays around a little bit too. He's a guy that uh, they can move around the defense. So he's a bit of a utility guy. He's a veteran guy. He's a hitter. He's a guy that, uh, you know, you look at the numbers here. I mean, 19 walks and 13 strikeouts. I mean, this is a guy that he's not going to give you a whole lot. They, they do run the bases a little bit. They're kind of timely with what they do, but they're not great at it. 24 stolen bases and 35 attempts. Uh, and, and it's kind of up and down the order. Tommy Seidel, 5 of 6, is a, a bit of a threat. And Caden Rose, uh, seven of eight on the year. Uh, Andrew Pickney, four for four. But, uh, again, they're kind of timely in what they do. They're just not great at it. Opponents have stolen 33 of 39, though. That's an interesting statistic there, especially the way that State runs the bases. And I think every game is going to matter. And what's what's incredible to when you look at here, and, again, you look at non-conference play and you think, okay, the numbers kind of skew in that direction. Hey, teams are hitting just 231. Against Alabama, Alabama's hitting 323. So they're a team that's going to put the ball in play. We're going to have to play, make defensive plays behind the pitchers. And if you give them extra outs, you make errors, and you walk guys, they're going to put you in trouble because they got guys that can swing it. And that's not exactly a very unique ballpark, you know, the way the ball flies out there. So we may hit some too. But, uh, you know, we played uh, there a couple years ago, and there were a couple of win-aided home runs for both teams. But uh, Ben Hess – Seven starts on the year for him, 322 ERA. He's got 36 in the third innings pitched, 49 Ks to eight walks. What that tells me is he'll be around his own, but he's also a guy that is susceptible to the home run ball. He's allowed seven home runs on the year. He's hit three hitters, got three wild pitches. So control, not necessarily something that you're concerned about with him, but he is a guy at times that is prepared to challenge hitters, and if you hit it out of the ballpark, you hit it out of the ballpark. But seven tanks, that's a lot at this point in the season. Uh, Grayson Hit is a guy they tell me that it has a five-pitch mix, and what that tells me is he doesn't have command of a three-pitch mix, so he tries to add some auxiliary pitches to it. Opponents are hitting just 208 against him. 4.13 ERA, he is 3-1 and one on the season and seven starts, 32 and two-thirds of an innings pitched, uh, less than a hit per inning, 17 runs on the year, 15 of them earned. But he is a guy that will walk you. 40 Ks against 21 walks. So it's a two-for-one ratio with him. Uh, he has given up a handful of extra base hits, but not not anything that's especially concerning here. Uh, Luke Holman, uh, six starts for him on the year with a 4-1 and one record, 3.07 ERA, uh, giving up four tanks. He's another guy, too. Four-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio for him, 40 Ks against just 10 walks. Uh, but, you know, opponents hitting just a buck 65 against him. You know, this is a guy, too, gets good sync on his pitches, forces you to beat the ball on the ground. 
And so we're going to have to do a good job there with that. We struggled with some of that last week, and we finally got to those guys. We just couldn't hold it up on uh, on the bullpen side of things. All right, looking at uh, conference play here, I think it's important to look at too. I think everybody should look at this these days. Uh, in conference, Grayson hit a 3.45 ERA, just has the one win, but uh, strikeout numbers are pretty consistent with what you've had. Uh, ben Hass has been really good in conference play as far as strikeout-to-walk ratio, 23 Ks against just three walks. But teams in the SEC are hitting him at a much higher pace. 242 uh, is the average. ERA is 486, so 10 runs allowed uh, by him. Uh, and, it, you know, Hunter Furtado, I'm sure we'll probably see him at some point. Riley Quick, that's a guy you guys know. We recruited him on the football side. Not done a whole lot there. Three and a third innings pitch, an ERA of over 10. It's allowed six hits and four runs. Four Ks against three walks. Allowed the one home run. On the batting side of things, you know, in conference play, uh, Jim Jarvis has kind of led it, and you'd expect that a veteran guy, 343. And then William Hammeter is uh, 313, Drew Williamson two, uh, 308, and Ed Johnson 303. So four guys in SEC play hitting above 300. Tommy Seidel just beneath them at 290, and Pickney down at 278. Caden Rose down at 278 as well. But this is a team that's going to put the ball in play. Against conference competition, they're hitting 268. They're allowing just 235. And they've played Arkansas and Florida. So it's not like that they've, you know, they've beaten up on, you know, you know, Georgia, Mississippi State, Ole Miss. And so, again, this is an Alabama team that's certainly capable of winning this series, but it's also a series that I believe Mississippi State is capable of winning. I think also, too, there is something to factor in, too, and maybe not in your players' minds, but in their players' minds, that we have won the last six series against them. And I know last year they felt like they had us, and, of course, uh, R.J. Yeager with a walk-off bomb. Hunter Hines, of course, hits a bomb in the ninth inning to tie ball game, And so – it's going to be interesting to see how they attack us, and I also wonder how the weather uh, will impact the play. Now, let me just tell you this, and maybe it's my heart talking, and maybe it's because I'm trying to wish it into existence. I think Mississippi State is going to win the series. Now, people are going to say, Steve, y'all, you're crazy. You're being a homer, and maybe I am. Maybe I am. I think South Carolina is a better team than Alabama. Can we agree on that? And I think, again, you look back at last weekend, you could argue State should have won the series. It was competitive. I know the game got away from us in the ninth on, uh, on Saturday. But I think we all felt that, you know, we should have won the game on Thursday. We had a call go against us. We got frustrated. We grooved the pitch, give a two-run shot. We lose the game by two. And then we bounce back, and we 10-run roll those guys. And then we're in the ball game, have a late lead, and then next thing you know, it gets away from us. I think State's going to win. I don't think Alabama is as good as South Carolina. I know we have to go on the road, but I know that you guys will be there. I know a lot of Bulldogs from the area are going to go over there and support the team. And I would submit that there may be as many Mississippi State fans there as there are Alabama fans. That's been the case the last two times we've gone over there. And so I think State's going to take a series. Now, it's all going to boil down to pitching. I think we're going to be able to hit the baseball. I think we're going to be able to play – a good defense. I think that there is a liability at times behind the plate for them too. I think we can run with some success. And But if we go out there and walk the ballpark, there's no point in us even talking about it. But if you think about the fact that you have Cade Smith back, you think about the fact that Nate actually pitched really well last weekend. Uh, Gart pitched really good, right? Durangelo was a little bit up and down. 
But if we can go out there and get three quality starts like we did last weekend and find a way now with some other pieces available to us in the bullpen, I think we can do it. Now, we're going to need some help from them too. We're not dominant by any stretch of the imagination. We're going to need them to swing and miss. We are. And there is some swing and miss in this lineup. There is 82 strikeouts for them uh, as a team in SEC play. And they've only struck out 86. So it's, you know, it's kind of one way or the other. But the reality of it is, is I think that we are a team that's capable. I think, number one, I think we feel like that we deserve to win. And I think that this is a chance for us to take the next step. If we don't, you know, the, we're going to be sitting here next week talking about, you know, the chances of us getting Hoover are uh, slipping and sliding away. And even though Ole Miss is coming in, it's going to be difficult for us as a fan base to get up for that series. But 11 home runs hit for Alabama in SEC play. They've allowed 12. Scoring's about the same because they've been in competitive ball games, And that's the, the one thing that does worry me about this is that we get into the later innings. You know, can we count on Aaron Nixon to go out there and throw strikes and not hit people? And, and that sounds so elementary, and I don't mean it to sound insulting. You know, can we count on Casey Hunt going out there and getting us a couple innings, getting the game? Along, can we count on Cade Smith? Can we count on Colby Holcomb to, to pitch as well as he did last weekend? And there's that one pitch you want back, but Colby was outstanding. Unless I know he was on fumes late, and I still support the fact that give him the baseball if he wants it. But I begin to think about you know if we if we manage pitching the way we did last weekend, we're gonna win a ball game. If we're able to get the relief efforts that we got up until the seventh inning on Saturday, we're going to win the series. That's how I feel about it. And a lot of people are like, Steve, I can't believe this. That's okay. That's okay. It has to start sometime. What better place than now? What better time than now? So let's go get it done, Bulldogs. I told you guys last weekend that we're going to have a winning week. We got one in the books. Let's go get a couple more. Hey, if we can get three, wonderful. But I think that's a little bit ambitious. But I think we can go over there and, uh, and get a split and maybe get us a couple of dubs. All right, if you hadn't done so, go to dogpilebook.com. I implore you to do that. If you hadn't done that, everybody needs it. I know some people are down on baseball right now, but go back and reminisce about the time when Mississippi State won an Apple championship. I chronicled the entire event. I was along for the ride. So some behind-the-scenes stuff there perhaps you've never known. About your Bulldogs, go to dogpilebook.com. I know that uh, Father's Day is coming up. Easter's coming up. What greater gift than the gift of literature? So at dogpilethebook.com, you can find all my sports books. That's Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, and Flim Flam. And Stark Villains is uh, almost completely out. So you're almost going to – I think there's like three left at the warehouse, and then everything else is in bookstores. What's left? Alpha Dogs, not far behind. And then we have probably a few hundred copies of Flim Flam. We have several dog piles. So you need to get on the sticks there and get some dog pile in your life. Even if you're not a big reader, you need to have this as, you know, a piece of your memorabilia, your – your baseball cave, you need that dog pile book. And uh, if you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can find it at um, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksMegan.com, Stark Villains gear, always available at StarkVillains.com. T-shirts, hoodies, and a variety of colors. Be sure and check it out next time uh, you're doing some online shopping. And if you're not a member of JeansPage.com, what are you doing with your life? The, the best place to get Mississippi State coverage. Nobody covers the Bulldogs like we do in the history of this university. Nobody has provided more in-depth coverage of Mississippi State Athletics than we do over at jeanspage.com. Happy to report a record March for us. We had a record November, a record December, a record January, February, and March. Absolutely killing it. 
and I want to thank all of you for your support and the great job that our staff, uh, Mike, David, Robbie, Paul, everybody involved over there. We've got Neil Stubchinsky now. Everybody doing a great job uh, kind of helping us move this thing along. And uh, thank all of you for your support over the years. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.